Hey there, and welcome to Cosmologies. Join us as we explore the intersections of science, spirit, and the human experience. Are you curious? Let's go. Welcome, welcome everyone. Natalie here, and I just want to express how lovely it is to have you here today because this episode of Cosmologies was a huge treat to create, and I am so overjoyed to share it with you. This month, we're speaking about one of my favorite holidays, Ostara, and we're talking to one of my favorite people, Sam Rowe of The Cat and Kettle, all about tea ritual, and herbalism. And if you stick around for the end of the episode, you may just find a little gift from us that might warm your heart or stomach. So let's dive in. It is perennially wild to me how the mere tilt of the earth is always alchemy to my soul, and how radical a change can occur by simply standing apparently still. Somehow, I sprout fresh, feathered leaves over and over again. I live at a latitude of 47.7 degrees north which means that I'm more than halfway up the globe from the equator and that I have the fortune of really experiencing the seasons. Sun in the summer, darkness in the winter, and the sweet in-betweens. I also live at sea level, but spend a fair amount of time in the mountains, which means that I often get to see several seasons happening at the same time. And I guess it should come as no surprise, as a pagan and a poet, that I've come to associate the wheel of the year with the changes and cycles that happen within myself as well. There are dark times when I need to hold a candle for myself and tread water, and there are other times that I bloom, and there are reaping times, and there are endings. Over and over again, in self, career, relationships, everything. As the birds famously said, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There's a season, turn, turn, turn. My first poetry book is about this, which you can check out in the notes if you'd like, but I was releasing it around this time last year. Also last year around this time, I was jumping for spring. I'd been through a little bit of a dark winter of the soul and was just waiting for a summer of adventure and self-discovery. And I got it, but not in the way I expected. Of course, as I'm recording this episode, it's been one whole year since the world shut down for the global pandemic. Now, I dug out my journal from this time last year and gave myself a little flip through And at this time, I was wrapping up a practice from a local outdoor school that involved going to the same place over and over again, sitting with it, and observing all sorts of things in yourself and in that spot. 
and the spot I had chosen was the base of an inconspicuous tree on a short walk nearby. And this was really fortunate because as quarantine set in and dragged on, the local trail authorities told us not to go out, not to stop in mountain towns such as the one I grew up in, and asked folks on long hikes to cancel their trips. And even as the trails opened, and we all collectively realized that we should be wearing masks around each other, it became clear that hiking in a mask is a very unpleasant and wet ordeal. All that combined with a fair bit of car trouble meant that in 2020, my neighborhood became my playground. And my absolute saving grace. A huge gift and silver lining of this year is that, starting from my sit spot, I've seen every plant on my route in every stage of its annual life cycle. And now that days are growing warmer and longer again, I get to see every one of them begin all over again, starting with one of my favorites, Omlaria cerasisformis, also known as Osoberry and sometimes as Indian Plum. Which leads me to Ostara. Ostara is one of the eight celebrations, or sabbats, on the often-cited neo-pagan Wheel of the Year, and it lines up with the spring equinox. I'll go ahead and note now that the Wheel of the Year is not necessarily standard, and that not all pagans or earth-based spirituality practitioners celebrate any or all of the sabbats on it. Many of the names of the celebrations on the wheel are taken from traditions out of the Celtic or European Isles, and have been formalized rather recently in some neo-pagan religions such as Wicca. But of course, not all places on Earth experience dramatic seasons like this, and of the places that do, many folks celebrate those seasonal changes differently, and at different times, based on elevation, weather patterns, or more specific calendars. Modern paganism usually springs out of a revival of old folk customs, and a lot of folks choose to celebrate based off of what's known about their own heritage and folk practices in the places they're from. However, as the world has globalized, and more often than not been Christianized, there are a lot of people operating from a place of cultural bankruptcy. I speak from such a place where, over time, Immigration, family secrecy, Americanization, capitalism, religious erasure, and modern skepticism have all but eradicated what folk practices could have been passed down to me. I have, as far as I know, no family history in the British Isles, so my reconstructed practice isn't really based there at all. But folks who do often find this sort of Celtic reconstructionism to be a really meaningful way to connect with their lineage. I do, however, find the wheel imagery to be very helpful, as the motions of the earth and the warmth and light of the sun are extremely important to me and very deeply felt. And the eight spokes, or sabbats of the wheel, align with some very important astronomical dates, the summer and winter solstices, or the longest and shortest days of the year, the spring and fall equinoxes, or the two days when the sunlight is most equal, and the cross-quarter days that either mark the beginning and ending or midpoints between the seasons, 
depending on how you see them and often where you are. And as a person who is astronomically inclined, I am fascinated by some really neat stuff that happens on these days, which I'll get to in a few moments. But first, a bit about the history of Ostara specifically. Many scholars and laypeople alike have been trying to verify the origins of this holiday for a very long time, but the story is that the pre-Christian pagans of the British Isles worshipped a goddess named Eostra, Ostara, or Eostar at some point in the spring. Most folks trace this story back to the monk Bida Venerabilis, or the Venerable Bede, who writes in his 8th century Latin work, De Temporum Ratione, or The Reckoning of Time, the following passage about the English people of the olden time. Eostromonath has a name which is now translated Paschal Month, and which was once called after a goddess of theirs named Eostre, in whose honor feasts were celebrated in that month. Now they designate that Paschal season by her name, calling the joys of the new rite by the time-honored name of the old observance. So, according to legend, this goddess is where the name for the Christian Easter comes from. But in the centuries since, a lot of doubt has been cast on Bede's interpretation, especially since he was writing in a time when the area had already been Christianized and his sources were probably secondhand. However, absence of evidence is not necessarily evidence of absence. It is unlikely that Bede made up the name entirely, and there are traces of the name Ostara all over the islands and the European continent. Some say that it comes from the Indo-European root, meaning shine or brighten, and refers to the rising sun, or that it's related to the Germanic Austa, and can be traced to the Norse prose Edda as the dwarf Austri, signifying the east, also consistent with the rising sun. Or perhaps the Greek Eos, Roman Aurora, and Indian Usha, all dawn goddesses. Some also find similarity with the Jewish demon Astaroth, based on Phoenician goddess Astarte, also of the East, who comes from the Babylonian Ishtar and Sumerian Inanna. There are others, too, who will trace the name to the Matronae Austriahene, the divine protectors of a little town in Germany. For more on this, I recommend a little book by the Dutch author Gardenstone called Eostra Ostara Eostar which I will link to in the notes. So it seems plausible that maybe there might have been a goddess worshipped here, and that she might have been one of springtime or of the rising sun in the east. But regardless of where the name comes from, or whether you believe this celebration was indeed to a goddess, which may always remain a mystery or a matter of religious faith, the celebration continues to occur, and it is a time of joy feasting, and celebrating fertility and new life. This year, we celebrate the spring equinox on March 20th in the Northern Hemisphere, and folks in the Southern Hemisphere will experience the fall equinox on this date. This happens because the Earth has a tilt of 23 and a half degrees, and for the most part, that tilt continues to point in one direction or toward the North Polar Star, 
Polaris. Now I say for the most part because this also changes over vast timescales, but we will save that for another episode. The important thing to remember here is that the North Pole continues pointing toward that star throughout the year, no matter where the Earth is in relation to the Sun. So, when the Sun is functionally in between the Earth and Polaris, and not really in between, because that tilt is just not that extreme, um, but when it's kind of in the way, the Northern Hemisphere gets all lit up, and we get summer here. Six months later, when the Earth is on the opposite side of the Sun, the Northern Hemisphere continues to point toward Polaris and the darkness of space, and we get winter, while the Southern Hemisphere is all lit up and gets summer. And these two points are our solstices. Now the equinoxes are a special time when the Earth is exactly in between these places in its orbit. And all around the globe, most places will see the sun rise directly in the east and set directly in the west and see exactly 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night. Equinox literally means equal night in Latin. But some places on Earth are kind of wild, and I mean specifically the North and South Pole. On these equinox days, the sun takes several days to finally rise or set around the rim of the whole sky and will stay risen or set for the next six months. Before I introduce my guest, I will remind all listeners that neither I nor any of my guests can claim to have any or all of the answers. We are all students with vastly different lived experiences and courses of study, and we're all in different places on our journeys. So, without much ado, I am very excited to welcome Sam Rowe to the show. Sam uses they-them pronouns and is a non-binary, bisexual, folk herbalist, witch, Libra son, and cat devotee. They run the Cat and Kettle with their spouse, an herbal tea line dedicated to personalized ritual. Outside of their business, Sam is a practicing witch with a Celtic slant on their practice. Sam has also been a company member at Seattle Fringe Theater staple, Annex Theater, since 2015. They are also something of a visual artist, and their cat is a beautiful potato. Sam is absolutely a friend of mine, and it's been a long time since we've been able to see each other, so we set up this celebratory interview as a socially distanced Ostara ritual feast in a nearby park. I'll go ahead and post some photos to the Cosmologies channel Instagram when this episode drops so you can see but it is complete with candles, scrumptious spring cheese, flowers, and charcuterie, not forgetting one of my favorite ultra-decadent Ostara traditions, rosé consumed out of a chocolate rabbit. As such, you may hear the occasional noises of wind, children, birds, trains, planes, and automobiles. We hope it feels like you're celebrating with us. So, Sam. Hi. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about yourself 
um, and your business and why you started it. Um, so I'm, I'm Sam. I primarily use they, them pronouns, although feel free to get spicy with that because um, <laughs> gender is not real uh, to me. Um, and a little bit about me. I, um, I grew up in a suburb of Seattle and um, was always sort of like a weird kid with a W. It was a capital W, really. Um, like I did theater growing up um, and um, being the oldest child of a stay-at-home parent, I had a lot of free time on my hands. Um, so I was always in the kitchen or, you know, child building stuff with sticks in the backyard or sitting <laughs> in trees. And um, yeah, so I, I, when I went to college, it wasn't really something that I took with me, but after graduating um, and sort of getting out in the world, I wanted to return to some of the things I loved before um, education and all of that sort of took over my life. And herbalism was where I found myself. Um, I like crafting and I thought, hey, this is something cool I can do um, that is private and small. And it's sort of built out from there. Um, I was building little flower bundles for friends as gifts. And then I started making my own teas. And um, yeah, a friend of mine said, why don't you bring your teas to this cabaret I'm holding? Cause I want to have merchants there. And so that was, that was when I started selling tea. And now I have this little, well, it's not a little line. It's like 35 teas now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and a bath salt line planned for sometime next year probably um and it's just sort of built up from the three that I originally conceived and I tend to make things as the year goes along so I started with astrology signs um actually started in Virgo season which feels apt um because <laughs> I'm a Virgo rising also and went around the whole year and got right back and said, huh, okay, this is cool. And I stuck with that for a while. And then this past year being in quarantine, uh, we started adding moon teas. Um, so I've been creating that as the year goes along and it just keeps getting bigger. <laughs> this is, by the way, the project that uh, first brought yeah. me to the interview, Sam, was these moon teas. Um, can you really quickly tell us, actually, what were your first three teas that you developed? Uh, Flora was the very first one, and it's a rooibos blend. Um, right after college, I worked at a tea shop in Seattle, which shall remain nameless because it was a terrible job. <laughs> um, and they had a lot of rooibos teas. So when I was first starting to get into these things, I went with what was familiar. Um, so we have Flora that's like a rooibos and rose tea um it's got some lemon in there it's very simple um and then I made one uh called Dionysus because I it was warm honestly when I was making these and I was like you know what I want to do something that's iced and kind of punchy and non-alcoholic so I made this Dionysus tea that's a hibiscus blend um with anise and some citrus and then because a lot of my want to get into herbalism also comes from being chronically ill. It's like, you know what? Throw in a wellness tea. So <laughs> I, so I made Asclepius and that is like a Tulsi base with um, a lot of like lemongrass and lemon peel and a little bit of St. John's wort. 
Um, just stuff to like make you feel better <laughs> when you feel like garbage because that's what most people turn to tea for. So, yeah. Yeah, for those who might have listened in last month, that's another pronunciation of Asclepius. Oh! There's I several. I, okay, I <laughs> never know. That's the way it know. is with Greek, you know? know? <laughs> like, so with any, pretty much any language that isn't our primary spoken English, uh-huh. and even in English, too, we're like, mm, tomato, tomato. I know. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm watching, like, people play Hades on Twitch a lot, and they keep saying Demeter, and I grew up saying Demeter, mm-hmm. and I just don't know what to do with my body now. Yeah, like, or Hecate, Hecate. Yeah, like. <laughs> Hecate, Hecate. There's so many variations there. Do? Perfect. Well, um, can you tell us a little bit about these moon teas? Because I think, uh, yeah, that was my first one of yeah. teas. Um, so I, I like celebrating moons, really. Um, it's Same. always been a way to like, yeah, it's a way to like keep in check with my body. Um, I have, again, I'm, I have chronic illness with my reproductive organs. So for me, like menstruation tends to fall in a weird schedule. And so I sort of like judge how off I am by where the moon is. Um, so I, it's like, if it's not on around the new moon, then I'm like, okay, I think I ate too much gluten this month. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so it'll, it'll be like that sometimes. And um, in quarantine, it, you know, my, my health is weird or because we're all having weird reactions to being cooped up. And so I started really measuring my body on the cycles of the moon. And we got into like the pink moon last year. And I made a tea specifically for it and went, why the f*** ah. am I not doing this? Oh, my God. Can I say f*** ah. on your podcast? <laughs> I haven't decided okay. yet. So if not, then I'll bleep it out. Cool. <laughs> we're Good to brand know. new. <laughs> Great. Um, so I, I was like, why, do, why don't I have these? Because they correspond really well with having an astrological line. Um, and so I just, I sat down one night on my like extremely weird quarantine sleep schedule of 3 a.m. <laughs> to 10 a.m. Um, and it was like, so it's like 2.30 in the morning and I just wrote them all down um, like in front of my altar and like cool I this I think will help me keep track of the year but also I can just do it month by month and originally I wasn't going to have them on my website even past like the month I was going to have just a changeover but there's been a pretty high demand for a couple of them so I don't want to take them away now yeah I've I know that I've enjoyed a couple of them a lot Mm. Uh, what do you think have been the ones that have been in most high demand or which moons uh definitely strawberry moon (laughs) well yeah that's my favorite yeah (laughs) Uh, a lot of people because I I sent it as a Beltane gift to a lot of people I think I sent like 40 packages out just to friends because I wanted to do something nice we had been in quarantine for like two months at that point and people were starting to get really itchy and it just, it felt good to do something nice and to have a structured project. Um, and it gave me an excuse to like really crack down on like, what does my packaging look like? What does my shipping look like? Cause I had only had my website for like four months by that point. Huh. So I, I took the, I took it as an opportunity to organize myself um but yeah strawberry moon's a big one um green moon is a big one because it's chamomile base and it has orange peel in it so i think people mm. gen- tend to gravitate towards chamomile because it's familiar but also it just tastes good it's sweeter um because the ones that i sell that are a little bit more bitter definitely don't sell as often 
Um, lately, though, thanks to uh, I think thanks to a friend of mine who posted about Blue Moon, we've been selling a lot of Blue Moon because it's blue. <laughs> so Blue Moon is gorgeous. Uh, I like that one a lot. <laughs> and you put lemon in it, and it turns purple. So it's it's fun. I didn't know that. Yeah, the acid in the lemon for some reason reacts with the butterfly pea flower, and it turns purple. That's amazing. I yeah. have to try that because I still have a little <laughs> bit of blue moon that I've been saving because mm-hmm. it looks so pretty. Yeah, no, my the I a nanny during the day, and these are the things that I bring with me to like Mary Poppins, these two children, and so that's <laughs> an experiment we've done before, and it goes very well. And if you just use the flowers and like make plain tea and strain all that out, um, if you add like milk and honey to it, it's really pleasant because it's just lightly floral. So. Yeah. Now you produced another tea recently that's specifically to be done with milk, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a golden milk situation because I have issues with inflammatory <laughs> yeah, stuff. That's just part of being chronically ill is they're always like, how are you on anti-inflammatory issues? <laughs> like, fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Um, so when I was making this one, it's like, cool, this moon is going to be in the middle of January and everybody is going to be tired because post-holiday stress is real. And just like your body kind of coming down from, you know, winter started, winter started to being in the middle of Seattle winter, which is perpetual grayness and just upsetteros and (laughs) no serotonin having world so I wanted something that would be like warm and comforting but also would like feed your body in a way that you really need during winter and I I like golden milk because it's bright and it's cheery and you can make it as spicy or not spicy as you want like if uh, there is black pepper in mine because um, turmeric and black pepper go hand in hand and their healing properties and you can't it's like having a cue without a U um <laughs> if you don't have one or the other in your anti-inflammatory blends um so if you want though you can add more black pepper to it or if it's too spicy for you you can add more honey and make it sweeter or mm-hmm. shit chop up some fresh ginger and put it in there it it will serve you no matter what it can be flexible in that way because it's a little bit more kitcheny than your average herbal tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost almost a little soupy, but yeah. it's, it's still like or like hot chocolatey. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, just it just makes your heart warm as well as your body. Yeah. Well <laughs> <laughs> so your work is really multifaceted. Yeah. So of course there's like all that comes with entrepreneurship, you know, there's website management mm-hmm. and social media and all that yes. stuff. Um, but there's also the work itself, you know, crafting teas. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously a lot going on. To what degree, if any, would you say that your work is artistic or scientific or educational, spiritual or something else? Um, my my tendency for anything like that is that art, the artistic side of something is always first. Um, that's why when school started converting from STEM to STEAM, I got really excited about it. Cause like you literally cannot have uh, a project without some level of artistic thinking. Um, you, you have to put uh craftspersonship first because if it's not coming from your heart and your soul, especially with something like this, where you're literally feeding people, um, yeah. you can't, you can't produce. So my, my artistic side is always first. Also, I'm just like, 
I'm just like an artsy fartsy Libra <laughs> and I'm deaf. I am a ruled by Venus human being. So like it has to be pretty. <laughs> and for background, we, we know each other through theater. We do. So. Well, and like we spent the first 20 minutes before we sat down to record um, and like get, got into our, our like COVID sensitive space here, like arranging our, our meals. So <laughs> if, yeah, this, this is all, um, this has been demonstrated today. Like, I, I am an artistic person. <laughs> um, but I, I, when I'm making tea, um, and that it really right now is my, my primary thing that I do is I come up with the teas because I, I have support from my spouse with like the day to day packaging and shipping. Like, he kind of took over shipping, um, at a certain point when I was just like getting up to my ears with stuff and, because I am a nanny and I'm tired when I get home, <laughs> he's taken on a little bit more, um, you know, <laughs> he's taken on a little bit more responsibility to help me out. So right now, like, I really am, like, just in the creator's chair, um, just kind of trying to play with things and do things that make people happy. Um, herbal tea is really hard for some people to approach, um, which is why most people just go and buy it. Um, mm. instead of mixing their own, because you could mix this, all of these by yourself if you wanted to. But I find herbal tea, especially when I was first starting, to be like not approachable. There's a wide variety of herbs. They all do different things. They all have different like bodily correspondences, astrology correspondences, um, different genuses, etc. And it's hard to wrap your head around all of that when you've maybe grown up on celestial seasonings. <laughs> And I'm like coming at this with a background in tea retail already. So it was it was a steep hill for me to start climbing and it still is. Um, so I, I, when I'm making something, I try to think about like, okay, what, what would somebody who doesn't know anything like, which is great because my husband doesn't know anything. So I have a guinea pig um, and we live with my family right now. So I have a couple of guinea pigs with like different taste buds. And then... Um, a lot of these teas that I've done, especially in the last year, year and a half or so, are infused with mythos. Um, so I sort of start taking things from the Greco-Roman pantheon. Like I, I had an um, not an astronomy one, um, an Aphrodite tea that I recently put on my website, and it's not just things that are like frilly and cute, because um, I did look at other Aphrodite teas that are around and a lot of them are like very rose forward and mine is too but I wanted to see what else was out there and apparently oregano was a very common symbol for Aphrodite and thyme is a very common symbol for Aphrodite so there is oregano in my tea um, to balance out all of those like heavy floral flavors that come from things like rose and hawthorn um, or the some of the ones I'm the most proud of actually are um, Persephone and Hades and Demeter um, because I came up with Demeter as sort of an ode to a friend of mine who requested a tea. Um, she has a three-year-old and she, she sent me a message and was like, I want to do a custom blend. I just need a f***ing break. <laughs> I have a three-year-old in quarantine. So it's like, it's a very like Nervine uh, centric tea so it's very calming um, but she's allergic to chamomile so I had mm. a fun workaround with that we're like okay I have this whole thing that's like off the table but oh I put oat straw and 
oat buds into it already. What if I looked further into um, Greco-Roman myth for Demeter and found other things that are indicative of her and then went, well, I want to do Persephone as well and Hades. So they all sort of have a through line of like being connected to each other in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, So like Persephone and Hades, you can actually enjoy as one tea together. Um, they uh, Yeah, they both have four ingredients and can be put together. Um, that's not entirely my idea, so I will give credit to Immortal Perfumes for that because they have a Persephone and Hades set that you can wear together. Oh, wow. But I thought, like, what if I could do that with a tea? Um, and I did. So they, they both have a mint component because mint is associated with death. Um, but Persephone has parsley because that's one of her things, parsley root specifically. And then um, cornflower, and that's the one that she shares with the Demeter tea. Um, mm-hmm. So they have that together. But then Hades um, is like spearmint and calendula and California poppy um, because like death and sleeping and all of those things. But he still shares a mint connection to Persephone, and Persephone also has pomegranate, of course. So. Of course. Yeah, but when you mix the two, um, it's a little bit more full-bodied because... You know, you, you can taste, like, all of the little bits and parts. And, like, Hades wouldn't be – Hades isn't a particular fruity tea, but when you have Persephone's pomegranates in there, it tastes a little bit different. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah it, it's fun. So I get to write these stories, and I, I've done the same thing with the moon teas, too. Like, they all have a mirroring ingredient um, for the moon that is opposing them in the cycle. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I consciously noticed <laughs> yeah. that, but I did subconsciously like, oh, this also has yeah. pops in it. It's, like, yeah, it's because they all, um, they you know, if it's in a circle yeah. of the the wheel of the year, then they all have a, a mirroring one. And, like, while some of them do share ingredients just because they share ingredients, because, like, dandelion leaf is a good palette to work on, for instance. Um, but yeah, like, I, I like to sit down and write stories, basically, when I'm creating these things and it's not quite necessarily rooted in like plant genus although sometimes it is like I need a mint here so like how many different mints can I pick from because catnip is technically a mint (laughs) um but I yeah I get a chance to write a story with everything that I make and that's that's the fun part for me (laughs) So when you're coming at the the end of like, I want this tea to do this mm-hmm. for my people, mm-hmm. um, kind of like on the on the sciency side of it, what's the first thing you're kind of thinking of? There? Um, give me an example, and I can I can work my process on on this. Yeah. So, so what's something you need? Say, oh God, what do I need? Yeah. What do you need, Bill? <laughs> um. I usually need to calm my overactive anxiety brain. Okay. And so, like, I, I a couple of things have been proposed to me in the past, mm-hmm. but I would love to hear how you would go about doing that. Yeah. So when I when I hear that my brain goes to nervines first, generally speaking, but I don't necessarily want to settle on a nervine first because they can be kind of powerful, especially if they um, are something like skullcap, which can interact with medications, or St. John's wort is terrible for some people and oh, can... Wow. Yeah, it can create a serotonin syndrome. So I try to sort of work backwards in that case. Um, Like, what are the most gentle things I can do before I put just a little bit of something strong in there? So for an anxiety tea, um, I think about, like, balancing your systems a little bit more. So I would say something nutritious first. 
Um, so like nettle or dandelion or oat straw um, or like lemon balm, um, mm. all, all things that just like kind of feed your body a little bit more. And then like, well, what do you like for flavors? Do you, is it springtime? Is it summertime? Um, cause if it's spring, I might put something in there like lavender that just feels like the sun is coming up again. Or yeah. if we're in the middle of winter, I might like add something a little bit more rooty because you probably need something to work on like your root system. Mm. Um, and I, I sort of designed that way um and then put in a nervine like passion flower or skullcap or if you're able to take st john's wort st john's wort um yeah yeah and then i try to make it not taste grassy (laughs) (laughs) which we actually did have someone write in recently on an order we did that our gemini tea tastes like a lawn in a good way (laughs) they ordered like a half pound of it like okay i'm glad you like my lawn (laughs) this is I, my mom's a Gemini, so, you know, it couldn't be a bad tea, but. (laughs) (laughs) To what extent would you say that your work uh, is educational? Um, I think it is educational in that you sort of need to have a little bit of knowing about your own body, which a lot of people don't because Western medicine is sort of just like write a prescription, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but so you you need to sort of be in touch with what you need. Um, my whole thing is like a ritual for your everyday, right? Um, and so before you purchase, you need to know like, huh, I feel like I need this type of energy in my world. And maybe you don't know the herbs that correspond with that, but like, huh, I'm a beginner. I know that I have like, say strong Scorpio placements and I'm not really feeling like myself. So maybe I want to gravitate towards a Scorpio tea, or maybe I want like a water tea because I have elemental ones as well. Um, so I think it's a, a little bit of like self-education. The crows agree. Yeah. Um, but also it's just a chance for people to expand their knowledge of like home remedies a little bit more. I think one of the biggest things that most people need more of in their lives these days is self-awareness um, to like find out a little bit more of what you need because the systems that we have in place kind of count on you not knowing what you need and you know like comprehensive medical care is right hard to find so (laughs) if you can center yourself in in your own body and take care of yourself to a point then when things do get difficult you can go in and be like hey i don't feel right in this way this way and this way and you can tell your practitioner a little bit more clearly what you need and then maybe you can get better treatment for whatever you're looking for so i don't know it's about your heart or something. <laughs> I can't get too up my own ass about it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think that's a, that's a great summary of all, all of the things that are not on a practical level, but on an artistic level, like what, what, your, what, your craft, what your craft level is here. So can you tell us a little bit more about maybe the science of herbalism and the field? Um, it is, herbalism is weird. I will start with that because you, you can technically practice it without a license. 
Um, right, because there's no actual mm-hmm. licensing body. Yeah, there, it's not regulated by the FDA. If you go and you like read about herbs on the internet, you can read about them up to a point, but everything beyond that is untested because it's folk medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it gets disregarded a lot in that way. Um, but yeah, there, it's kind of bizarre because you read, you know, and you read these things and they say, well, it could work for headaches. It works for headaches, so, uh, <laughs> you, you know, so I don't know if it's necessarily like what sort of vitamins are in which herb or, you know, it's just, it's kind of like this with, uh, with like eating local honey will help your allergies, like nettles for some reason help your allergies, like, yeah, I don't have a great Can answer for this. Can it be local this. nettles? Or? No, okay. no. It's just the first thing that sells out every <laughs> allergy season if you work at an herb store. It's your nettles. Huh. Yeah. So, and of course the way that, you know, modern medicine also works mm-hmm. is, is entirely based off of folk medicine. Mm-hmm. But it's just that, you know, we find things that kind of work and we conduct mm-hmm. a study on yeah. them and then only the things that have studies conducted on yes. them are the ones that actually get like you know because they pr- because they produce multi-billion dollar medicine yeah. out of them yeah <laughs> which is is bonkers to me because like willow bark is where aspirin comes from right like we got this from a freaking tree my dude like you can just drink tea that costs you you know maybe two dollars for an ounce if you go to a place where it's super priced up yeah but you have to pay like 8.99 for a bottle of tylenol or whatever um so i i think uh Maybe not scientifically speaking in the way that we're thinking of, like, scientifically speaking, but, like, scientific for my budget. Um, (laughs) You know, I can treat myself a little bit more in this regard. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, really, like, I mean, we we use this word science to talk about, like, a very specific thing these days. But, like, also... Anyone can be a scientist yeah. if you're doing things and observing their results and categorizing them, which people have been doing for, you know, um, since pe- we've been people. Well, and, uh, like, you and I have both been in education for a long time now. Like, all children are scientists. Yeah. Like, that's just how we learn to do things. It's just, they don't need a PhD to do it. They're just going to go see if the baking soda and the vinegar explode. <laughs> it, you put it in your mouth and yes. it tastes funny. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that toy train. That's some that's some science tasting there. Uh, yeah, totally. But like on a much on a much deeper level. Yeah. And animals too, you know, have been eating weird stuff for uh-huh. a long time to treat themselves because they don't have a pharmacist. Well, and there was that like there was that meme that went around for a while that was like, who was the first person to look at a cow's udders and be like, I want to drink that. <laughs> you know, like sometimes science is is not a lab coat. Sometimes science is just I'm gonna put this on my food and hope I don't die. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, okay. Um, speaking of, in my experience, there's like a lot of doubt cast on some herbal remedies and homeopathy. Yeah. Um, but they seem to be making kind of a mainstream comeback. Mm-hmm. Do you have any wisdom to share about this? Oh, do I? Um, oh, God. So 
I, I will say, first of all, I think these things all started making a comeback because all of us as millennials are freaking poor and we can't afford <laughs> health care. So we have to like we have to work sort of backwards from where we were raised to work. Like you go to a doctor when you're a child. If you have a sniffle, you go to the doctor mm-hmm. um, or at least that was least the way me. it was. Yeah. yeah. Like we did because our boomer parents were able to afford that. Um, we can't do that now. And it. It's very weird. Like there was this trend in America in the last, I want to say 10, 15 years where it was like thrifty chic. And I think that things like herbalism are a big part of that um, because we just simply can't afford to like be hypochondriacs. We, we just can't. Um, right. But also there's been, you know, an opening of communication um, with the advent of the internet. Um, so we're able to access different information about how other cultures um, govern themselves as far as healthcare goes. Like I learned, I learned a lot about that in college and a couple of different classes I took about like healing and art and um, the difference between like Eastern and Western medicine. And I think a lot of us growing up were very much taught like this is just how it goes but it doesn't have to be how it goes Mm -hmm. plus um i think a really big part of that was that um we had so many people die of aids and they wouldn't treat people with aids um or like they would get shut in a room um and just like brushed off so for us as as queer people Mm -hmm. um to be able to have healthcare is a whole different thing like you can still you still go to blood donation centers and they ask you really inappropriate questions about your sex life um because there's this lasting legacy of like queer people are dirty trans people are dirty um and i can't even speak for communities of color and how they've had to navigate that um but i i've spoke with a customer one time at a an apothecary i was working with who was like no i do all of my medicine from places like this because as a black person I don't know if my doctor actually sees me as a person or not. Right. So, like, I personally, I just got a doctor. I'm 31 years old. I just now have a doctor (laughs) that is like, I want to treat you from a holistic standpoint. And I see that you have, uh, like, a history. I see you have a history of trauma. And I want to make sure that, like, you're treated with that in mind. It took 31 years, though, to have a doctor that, like, sees you as a person and I'm like I'm very light-skinned I I you wouldn't look at me and go oh that person's not binary because I have very long hair and like hips um (laughs) so it's I think that we're as a very gay generation that is getting gayer (laughs) sort of migrating away from these structures to begin with and herbalism is the way that we can find that and like take our power back um, we can treat ourselves in our communities, you know, not like I'm going to splint your leg or something, but <laughs> like, oh, you have a cold. I can help you. I'm going to make you some tea or like I have this oxymel for you. Oh, you have a you have an eczema looking thing. I've got a salve that I made and we can share with each other and commune with each other and like rebuild these like broken, crappy suburban communities that we grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, <laughs> I had an experience a couple of years ago where I had a recurring massive kidney stone. Oh my god! Yeah, and Ow. they you know they took it out, but then it came back, and it was a naturopathic trained doctor mm-hmm. who was the one who said, "Well, okay, let's test for all these other things that normal people like normal doctors wouldn't test you yeah. for." and that's how they figured out that I had a massive growth on my parathyroid oh that my they had god. to take out. But like it, it wasn't caught by any of the, shall we say, like. Western practitioners yeah. before that point. And that yeah. was a, a very major thing that wasn't like here, take an herb and get better. Mm-hmm. It was, it was you know, because they tested for a specific hormone because yeah. this, the herbs weren't making it better. I actually, yeah, I, when I worked at the herb store that I used to work at, um, we shared a space with a naturopath. Um, and I had a lot of conversations with her about her process um, in like, how she helps people recover from addiction and how she helps Mm. people recover from like medication withdrawals and everything. And she's like, no, the first thing I do is a full panel. I want to know every chemical in your body and what it looks like before I try to remove anything or build your system up in, in, in like a, a rebuilding process. And the, so the amount of care that goes into these sorts of things, especially because they're not, FDA regulated and we have to be very careful and very gentle so that we don't get sued um, <laughs> or, you know, uh, get, you know, diarrhea, whatever. Um, Almost as bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like your body suing you, right? Um, Repercussion. Exactly. Like we don't, we want to be careful because it is something we're doing on our own and it is really scary um, to an extent. Like herbalism is is a little bit of a risk like it's a gentle risk but it's still a risk um so it's just another way to like be careful and care for yourself and care for your community and care for your patients if you're a naturopath um yeah yeah it's those kind of following those same tenets of like you have personal freedom and personal responsibility yes absolutely and there's no you know team of lawyers that's going to protect you from repercussions yeah, yeah or like you know killing people like yeah like there's there's nobody out there that's gonna protect you except for your community and yeah. so you, you need to in turn take care of them and be gentle with them which you know what a great reminder right now that like oh we have to care about other people we really do. And it's good to care about other people. It's what we tell children. I don't know why we don't continue to do it. <laughs> because it doesn't make money. No, <laughs> no. Oh, and, and, and on that, in that um, same vein, I know that, like, this is floating all around the internet, but, like, you know, there are things that you do and can treat with herbal medicine, yeah. and there are things that you can't. Yeah. Like, maybe don't try to fix your broken freaking leg with tea that yeah. sounds like a poor choice or like if you really do need antibiotics yeah you should take no and, and you should get vaccinated for god's sake <laughs> yeah like that's the i think that's the one unfortunate thing about um the herbalist community and um like that whole thing is that it does actually like hold hands a little bit with things like QAnon that are very dangerous for people and like anti-vaccine people um, I've met a lot in this community and it's really unfortunate that like I these people don't know how to balance themselves in that way like they want to talk about oh I'm ba- I'm so balanced I'm so in I'm not getting my <laughs> my shots but it's like that is also a part of balance is realizing when like you need professional care and you can't just drink Windex <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 
Like hydroxychloroquine is not going to save you, and yeah. neither is ginger root. Like, <laughs> or I, I, I meet a lot of people also that are very like anti SSRI, and like that's another one where it's like sometimes people need chemicals for their brain, and it's okay. Like you need to leave those people alone. They feel bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. There's um. There's an interesting podcast that has popped up semi-recently um, called, called Conspirituality Pod. What? They, they, maybe I'll link to them. They take on a lot of, like, the weird QAnon mm-hmm. conspiracies and, like, the yoga community and oh stuff. My God. And I think it's it's kind of linked. Yeah. No, it sounds things. amazing, actually. I might have to <laughs> grab that because you run into a lot of that. And it's really frustrating because a lot of the people in my circle of like herbalists and witches and um, all of those things are also very much linked to the queer community because again like that's the only medical that a lot of people have been able to get um, especially like when you're first transitioning coming in and getting some herbs um, that will maybe ease like hormonal imbalances are super duper helpful mm-hmm. um, so it's really frustrating to like share a space with people who could not care if you live or die like because you don't drink that kool-aid right. oh man yeah that sounds very frustrating it is. <laughs> it is i'm part of a facebook group um called maybe your spirituality is just cultural appropriation Ooh. And <laughs> talk a lot about those things in there it's it's bonkers some of the things that people will put on the internet wow yeah I think that um, a really annoying thing that's going around right now is um, on Instagram, um, the appropriation of known witches works, um, like people who are not initiated into certain cultures, which are closed cultures, um, just making Instagram accounts with like pictures from like real witches and like people who are like say a part of like hoodoo practices um that'll just be like yeah i'm doing this hoodoo spell like no you're not you leave that alone yeah away um it's definitely definitely happens more and more often especially as people like are starting to get more into um different sects of witchcraft um as witchcraft is a growing thing in america right now um yeah. get a lot more a lot, a lot more fakes a lot of people selling ah! water like please don't that's not your business um yeah there's just a lot of there's lots of ways to scam people now that didn't exist that at least used to exist with like a weird dude with a weird hat in a cart um <laughs> dr so and yeah old quinine you know solution. <laughs> yeah pirelli's miracle elixir sort of um so like that's really frustrating to watch but also just like the inflation of things like QAnon um and how those connect to anti-trans rhetoric anti-queer rhetoric um and all of the things that like most herbalists i know stand for um and have come to have community with like i I was brought into this community um, because I reached out about an internship with um, a, a wonderful practitioner in the area. Shout out to Elva. Um, I basically, I had just come out as non-binary and uh, they put up an invite for um, interns at their shop. And I said, hey, I'm a solitary practitioner. All of the friends I know who also practice are 
cishet for the most part and I I'm screaming I need help <laughs> and so I just I hung out at that shop and then I worked there and it was like cool I, I get to meet all these amazing trans people and all these amazing queer people and not feel like I'm alone and also I have a boss that backs me up when I don't want to sell sage to white people like oh yeah yeah <laughs> like no we're gonna keep this in the back anybody who comes in who maybe has a connection with the culture can ask for it but like the you know Susie's on Google can continue to to yell about how we don't carry smudges. Um, is that a, a big uh, big issue right now as well? It's like a lot of people just wanting to appropriate culture pretty blindly because it's yeah. there and they can grab at it. But there's a, a really interesting thing going on where we um, you know we live in a land that's not hours yeah but we also you know we live here we were born here yeah. we come from here and and we're a lot of us especially in like the witchcraft community feel mm-hmm. very connected to the local ecology yeah. because this is the only place it's the place we love mm-hmm. and it, it's our mother you know yeah um, well and, um, and but like there are definitely ways of you know interacting with it without appropriating the the local stories and you know knowledge and ways of knowing Mm -hmm. i i actually heard ilva speaking on a a podcast one time um i cannot remember the name of the podcast i think it's like which ways um about like the spirits of the land yeah they they could be your your nana they're probably not your nana though (laughs) they can probably tell you how to reach your nana but I, I carry that with me a lot, um, especially as we're, you know, we're sitting in this beautiful park right now with all these beautiful trees. Um, and I, I know that it is probably like the land where my family comes from because we're um, from Scotland. So, like, yeah, it's cold as shit there, too. And it's <laughs> and there's water and there's greenery. So, like, I know it's similar to, like, where my roots lie, but it isn't quite where my roots lie. Um, and, it, and I I personally try to remember that whenever I am practicing um and especially if I'm like reading my cards or if I'm picking my herbs I really try to be conscious of like what spirits are here if there are spirits if that's something you ascribe to um like what spirits are sitting with me what spirits do I maybe not have any business listening to um and yeah like but comes a lot especially when I'm making teas um like trying to not take things from other cultures that I've been told like oh you should just use this one like no maybe I shouldn't like right yeah Yeah. um I'm interested in you know knowing the difference between knowing about your local ecology Mm -hmm. and the herbs and plants that are here that you can use and forage Mm -hmm. and bring into your your world and your spirituality and and your own food um versus the things that you know are maybe protected and And not available and it it really sucks because like i i personally have always come at this from like i'm gonna go get a book i love books Mm -hmm. um and but those books often are pretty wide casting they don't know necessarily which person is gonna buy them so like uh, there's one writer that I've followed, um, and she has an Instagram shop, Aquarian Soul. She makes beautiful skincare products. Um, and, but a lot of her stuff is very specific to California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to go take from that, 
that's like not where I live. That's not where I'm from. Right. Um, and it's damaging for me to like order those things from that far away too, because of like the environmental totally. impact that shipping has. Um, there is so much appropriation in our culture, right? Um, and so when I was making like the moon teas, I had always just had like a set name for like all of them. Um, because I, I've been doing this for a while. And um, they're all, I, as I was reading about them, to make sure I was naming them properly, because this is something I know to check for. It is my habit to check for now. Like, am I okay to use these things or have a bunch of white people just said it's okay for me to use these things? Right. And it turns out the names like that most of us know for our moons are taken from indigenous cultures. And not even from any specific yeah. indigenous culture. We've talked a little bit about this in our moon episode. Oh. Um, but like specifically from maybe colonial yeah. moon American yeah. names. Because it, it all came about because of the almanacs that they were making mm-hmm. and they needed to name them. But I don't, I honestly don't know why they would do that when they're Actually, most cultures have names for each moon, and right. you can look for them. <laughs> and as as you, a colonist, you would have that knowledge, but you just choose not to use it. <laughs> like your grandma can tell you what they called the moon back in Scotland. They can tell you that. They can tell you where it was in Germany. Like they can give you those names, and they just chose not to, and it drives me crazy. So I have some like a little bit off names for some of my moons because I don't want to do that. Right. I mean, the the culture that I take from those my is my Celtic culture. So as we are in the same hemisphere, some of them are very similar. Like Strawberry Moon is pretty much global. Or at least northern hemisphere. Yeah. Um, I had a couple of them. I was like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope, nope. I'm not doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a part of that probably has to do with, um, you know, just eventually we get Gregorian month names. Mm-hmm. And so people stop using moon names unless they're very specifically, in, you know, kind of folky practice. Exactly. I, I, I mean, my... And of course, you have people marrying from all over and uh-huh. not necessarily passing down their whole tradition. Mm-hmm. And, and Christianity really does a number on a oh bunch my of folk God. traditions. Yeah. So it's probably a little bit of just like, oh, the novelty of these, you know, mm-hmm. people have their own moon names. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? You do too. Yeah, you do. <laughs> they are on the internet. You have to search maybe on the second Google page for them. Because, <laughs> like, if you just go and type in, like, moon names to your to your your search engine like you get a lot of like wiccan stuff right this this is not this is not what you should be looking for but if you scroll down just a little bit more you can get there's a couple of resources where it actually does divide them up by culture so you can compare them and that's fun yeah i don't know why people wouldn't want to do that i think a really interesting part of that too is that um you know for example, like if we're talking about Celtic moon names, mm-hmm. there's more than one set of them. And yeah. so it's highly localized. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, especially in North America where all of these people have tons of different languages and tons of different groups of people, mm-hmm. like even within groups who maybe consider themselves the same group, the moon yeah. names can be different. Yeah. And they're also sometimes different every year because, like, you know, sometimes there's 13 moons. Sometimes there's not. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, it all, like, just sort of continues to link up with what we were talking about earlier with, like, 
American structures and they're just surrounded by isolationism and <laughs> and we've gotten so far away from our own communities that like if we just talked about it maybe we would but like why people don't talk <laughs> right or you know like I half of my family is Dutch and the mm. other half is all kinds of mixed from yes. all over the place and they've they've lost a lot of stories over the way because you know people they're running away from communism, you know, from specifically people who are not very nice. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on on one side of my family, but even on the side that's Dutch, like, you know, that wasn't passed down. It's mm-hmm. like codified, yes, we're 100% Dutch on that side. Mm-hmm. I I never learned any. I'm teaching myself Dutch now because oh. <laughs> I just don't know any. Yeah. I don't know anything about my family there. Well, and there's such, like, there's such pressure for to Americanize. Yeah, to Americanize. Like my Absolutely. my dad is only the third generation on his side, on like his maternal grand or his paternal grandmother's side from Norway. And like there's nothing. I'm a first generation American. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I I know I've seen Americanization like my parents and mm-hmm. it was they were only coming from Canada, but it was still like <laughs> we have to be less kind to people. <laughs> pretty, pretty wild. Oh, but yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we we could have that we've lost, and I, you know, so I guess some herbalism can sometimes be a route back into that. Totally, um, totally. Looking at the plants of the places that you're yeah. from. Well, and like I, I think too about like kids who get sideways looks at school for bringing different food. Um, oh yeah. And like you don't, it's like one of the things that when you're a child, you kind of like try to root out of yourself because you don't want to be weird. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to be seen as like, in the, in this case, it might be you don't want to be seen as being ethnic or um, gay or whatever you do. <laughs> um, so like going with the flow is such a part of like the American legacy that is just like not serving us at all. Right, right. Yeah. So in terms of preparations, mm-hmm. you are primarily making teas and primarily. some bath salts. Yes. Um, but there are some other preparations out there in quotation marks mm-hmm. for um, ways that you can, you know, use herbs in other ways. Um, can you tell us a little bit about maybe some of the other ones and then how they might be used and and in terms of like daily ritual? Oh yeah. Um well we we can definitely start with bath stuff because like I don't know. I said one time like I don't know why I'm so obsessed with bath water and like doing my rituals in the bath <laughs> and one of my friends said it's cuz you have a Venus in Scorpio and the other said it's cuz you're gay. <laughs> Um, so, so like bath preparations are definitely like near and dear to my heart. Um, I think there's, you know, something about like the purification of water, but also like I can color this to my mood and I can scent it to my mood so I can very easily access like all four elements in my practice. Cause I usually have candles too. So like I have, I have fire and like within the tub itself, I have, I can have earth and water. Um, like if I'm adding salt for instance, um, and you know there's steam so there's air and um so you can mix you can mix herbs with salts if that's your it's like the easiest thing in the world to do except for like your drains uh will hate you <laughs> yeah um, well and a huge part of spell work is just tricking your senses yeah. and, and just completely inundating them mm-hmm. so, so smell and color exactly 
and also just like, ooh, shiny. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm going to do a cord cutting ceremony, but ooh, <laughs> I can feel comfortable while I'm doing this very difficult thing. Um, so like bath preparations are, are so special and so wonderful because again, you can just envelop yourself in them. And um, like we started making bath bombs this past December. It was sort of, we tested them as a Christmas present. Sorry, everyone who was is listening to this, who's my friend or family, you got a tester. Um, <laughs> I did. Yes, you did. You did. Um, they were also very fun to make with my children that I take care of. So, you know, and they're shaped like cats. <laughs> I can't hate that. Um, but it's, you know, I sit there and I actually like mix them with gloved hands, but I like mix them with my hands. And it's something that I can like um, put my put my heart into. Because that's something I got really used to doing when I was interning. Um, when I would fix candles, uh, my, my manager... Um, would just say, you know, however you choose to imbue these with the intention um, is up to you, but just, you know, focus somehow. And for me, focusing is like really being able to put my hands on things and I might like sing while I do it. Um, That's my first love is singing. So I, yeah, yeah, I love to do that. But, you know, there's other other things you can do if you like don't have a bathtub. Um, I love making salves because it's a nice slow process. and you, I've actually like sat and just watched them change before I might've been smoking weed. Um, <laughs> like as they congeal. Yeah. Yeah. And like how they change colors, um, and just become like these like little pots of oil to like this, like kind of sort of shimmery, um, soft thing that, you know, can help your dry cake pans. Um, yeah, you can make a salve for anybody who doesn't know what that is. It's like a balm. Um, it's usually a mix of an infused oil and beeswax um, to which you can add essential oils um, if that's your pleasure. I do that sometimes, if, especially if I'm sending them to people. I like them to smell nice, but you know, sometimes I'll just make one that you know has a bunch of plant matter in it still because I don't care because it's just for me. Mm-hmm. And like, if I get some lavender on me, then I don't care. It's a lovely indulgence. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like you can do that. You can. Um, a thing that I, I did as a teacher as well, because it's really easy to do, is um, you can make little sachets um, where when I was a teacher, I would bring like a couple of different flowers and a little bit of essential oil and the kids would stuff the flowers in the bag because I, I always taught very young children. So that's a skill to learn uh, for them since they just learned what hands were. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they would stuff the bags full of these pretty flowers and then I would put a little oil in it and, you know, hand it back to their parents at the end of the day and have, it's just something that smells nice and goes in your sock drawer. Um, so you can find ways to like use herbs as like a hearth person, a hearth witch, if that's your thing or like, using them in your food because food is magic mm-hmm. and um you know beverage preparation if you're into cocktails like you can make herbal syrups that maybe make your vodka taste a little different um which is quite fun um a lot of people i found out when i sent that strawberry moon batch out combined it with vodka um <laughs> which is cool although skull cap is also a mild sedative so maybe <laughs> don't do this maybe don't yeah <laughs> or just ask me for an edited batch or something um i'll take that part out um but yeah you can you can in, you can infuse your whole life with these sorts of different infusions it doesn't have to just be like consumption it can be something topical or even like i've started growing herbs around my home 
and it feels better just to have the greenery there um, yeah. or even just having it hanging on the wall if it's dried or if it's something that I burn because um, you can you can put it in all of your elemental uh, what's the word I'm looking for? All of your elemental planes, um, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can set them on fire if you want. It will make your house smell nice, depending on what it is. Or um, I did read somewhere that, like, burning any kind of sage, you know, not just not just the white sage that white people definitely shouldn't be touching, but, like, things like mugwort and lavender um, and rosemary will ionize the air. So you're mm-hmm. cleansing your air in that regard as well when you burn something. Um, yeah, there's, I could talk for like three hours about, I could, I could Bubba Gump shrimp you (laughs) on this if you would like. I guess I'm just thinking, you know, when we ingest herbs, our, our body processes them in a very specific way, you know, goes through our digestive system, but these other ways that you can prepare Mm -hmm. herbs, um, there's still some benefits, but they're different and they're better or worse for different types of things. Yeah, it depends on what ails you, you know, um, I'm not going to treat. Well, I mean, I can treat dry skin internally by hydrating myself or um, creating some kind of cold infusion if I want, you know, to get more nutrition to my skin. But also I should maybe put something on on the outside to, like, make it itch less. Like, there's always more than one way to treat something. And if we're thinking holistically, um, working from the inside out is a good way to think about it. But, you know, treating your brain... um, can come from doing a lot of different things and yeah yeah and so when um i think the first thing that you can do if you don't really know what to do with herbs uh is to cook with them absolutely yeah probably the way that most people do it yeah no that's i the first book i ever bought was a kitchen witch book and i remember one of the first things i made from it that wasn't a tea um was like a pesto well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's why there's herbs in the cheese that we just ate, because they all have meaning. <laughs> so if you could recommend some teas from your lineup for Ooh. the upcoming season, what would you suggest and why? Um, so if we're thinking about Ostara, as of today, we are actually drinking what will be the Ostara tea. Um, it is based on all of the herbal associations of the holiday because all of these different holidays have herbal associations, um, not just for like consumption of herbs, like through tea or food or whatever, but also for like altar tending. Um, so these are things you can put on your altar as well. Actually, that is a suggestion I've given to people who buy my tea. If you don't necessarily want to drink it or if you're, say, allergic to something in it, you might get a small amount of it and just put it on your altar. And then you don't have to kill yourself um, to do your... Please don't kill yourself. Yeah, always. We advocate here for not intentionally consuming things you're allergic to. That sounds like a poor choice for our, our world. We need to be kind to ourselves. Indeed. Um, but I, I would definitely say the Ostara tea is lovely. Um, let's see what... It is. I can confirm. And it looks really pretty, too. It and it's pretty. very mellow. It is nice. But also beautiful. What's in it? Can you tell us? Um, yeah, it's nettle and dandelion. 
um, as sort of a base because we're getting into spring with Astara. We're about to see them yeah. pop up everywhere. Exactly. Uh, and that's also just a way to take care of your allergies. I suffer from very, very horrible springtime allergies, <laughs> and they get worse every year because of climate change. So, um, <laughs> so using things like nettle um, is really good for your body. Dandelion is really nutritious. Um, and then from from there, I built the tea on like what things make me feel serotonin, <laughs> um, and like what things are bright and happy during spring. And so like calendula came pretty naturally because it's it's beautiful and it looks like the sun and the sun is finally coming back. Actually, like as we're recording this, the sun is coming it's out of the clouds. It's into beautiful. Our little little shelter. Like I'm feeling warmth and it's amazing. It's blue over the sound mm-hmm. suddenly. But, like, strawberries are also a big part of the spring season. And um, so I, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, strawberries. So we have dehydrated strawberries and lemon peel because I I will probably make strawberry lemonade um, when this day rolls around for real. And then um, spearmint I, I like as, like, a last ingredient because it leaves that, like, cooling feeling in your mouth. Um, and another one I would say that would be really good for especially if you're listening to this around Ostara, is uh, my Aries tea. Um, It is very gingery. One of my very best friends is an Aries, and I made it originally for her for her birthday. And so I had her in mind, and I made it lots of ginger. It's one of the first teas I ever put rosemary in, so it has a savory element to it, but it's still like lemon balm as well. So it's really good for your head because... um, Aries corresponds with your head. So, yeah, because all of the signs have different parts of the body, um, which as a Libra is not as fun as I thought it would be because Libras are like lower intestines because you're a nervous wreck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and like Virgo is your stomach. So (laughs) so that's, that's another thing. If you ever go through all of my teas and be like, okay, I know that this herb works for this part of the body. That is intentional. (laughs) <laughs> um, but like Aries teas are really good for your head because, you know, Aries, uh, y'all get a little heated sometimes. So there's a little bit of heat in the tea from the ginger, but also just a little bit of chill out because we all need a grounding. Um, so I would recommend Aries. I would recommend Astara. Um, you could also go forward in the Zodiac wheel a little bit. Taurus is a very simple tea. It's the simplest one I have. Uh, I was raised by a Taurus, so I know that, you know, y'all dress like you could wear a shopping bag for all you care, as long as you have, like, adorable bottled things around you, um, <laughs> bottled beverages, whatever. Um, expensive taste, poor fashion. I'm sorry to any Taurus fashion bloggers <laughs> out there. Um, we are we are siblings in Venus, so you know what? I love you. Um, but uh, Taurus is very minty and sweet. And then um, Cancer also would be another one because that one is just also super simple. But it's uh, chamomile, lemon, lemon verbena, dandelion, and um, clover. And it's just so the spring teas are all very, very nice this time of year. And what moon is coming up in your tea line? Uh, the next moon we have that's coming up is the crow moon. And um, I've been pretty excited about this since I planned it last year. Um, it was the first one I ever put apples down as a possibility for, which I, I have in a couple of my other teas now. 
but it's uh, it's apples and goji berries and wild cherry bark and Tulsi. So it's like it's super wonderful for like your body, but also it's kind of fruity and it's very pretty in the bowl right now. Like I have a little bowl sitting next to my altar that I'm like testing and like you know take take some this herb out of or like put more in because um, I'm still getting the formula exactly right but it's very pretty <laughs> that combination of ingredients just gives me like adventure vibes exactly <laughs> well like i love crows i have like three i have the morrigan is on my altar like the battle crow is like <laughs> what i do think like that's one of the names i do think under so like I love crows. They're so smart and they're so perfect. And so I just hope that they see my tea and go, ooh, shiny, good job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is around the time of year, too, that um, I see a bunch of crows just shouting down eagles. Yes. (laughs) Get out of here. You don't get to eat our babies. Yeah. The little fledgling (laughs) monsters that are going to dive bomb you. So with these teas, um, when folks grab some, um, what kind of a tea ritual can you tell us about? Like, do you use or can they use? Um, Well, one thing that I definitely always use tea for is grounding. Um, I I am a person with anxiety. I think I've mentioned I'm gay already, so I'm naturally anxious. (laughs) Um, So, like, I... Especially this last year with, like, an election cycle, um, have needed a lot more, like, feet on the ground, feeling that I'm able to provide for myself. Um, So I absolutely make, like, a small ritual out of making my tea. Like, if I get really anxious, a thing that I have to do is, like, list everything on paper, like what steps do I need to follow to like make my body work again? So I'll sit and write down, like, I need to boil water. I need to take you know, whichever herbs I want, or if I'm doing something that's pre-prepared, um, picking that out and trying to not get stressed about it. <laughs> um, usually I have like a, a blend I go to that's like oat straw and nettle and, um, and what's the other one? I usually put licorice root in it because that's sweet and I don't have to put sweetener in there. Um, and then I'll pick like one other herb. So I'll do like three or four herbs. Um, and I will, you know, pack the cup and that's a step. And then like pouring the water is a step. And I just try to be really mindful and slow about everything that I do. Um, just to not just connect with like my body again, but like connect with the herbs and like the intention that I have for them. Because even though like, I'm not crazy about like intention setting as a practice in witchcraft because of you know, it's connections to like white privilege and like um, hetero privilege and all of that. Interesting. Um, yeah, like, did you manifest it or is it white privilege? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I'm not crazy about that whole uh, thing, but like, I do want to be intentional about what I'm doing and mindful about what I'm doing uh, because it's a good way to just like feel the ground underneath my feet. Mm-hmm. So I, I would recommend that to anybody who needs it, um, especially these days. It seems like everyone's getting a lot itchier um like it's just really hard to be a person right now so if you need just a little bit of something to do that's a good one um or the cool thing about uh loose leaf herbs is that you can use them for other things if you don't necessarily want to make like 
a body tea. You could make a bath tea. Um, you could put them all into a bag in your bathtub, or you could brew up something really strong and like put it in your bath water with Ooh, you. Yeah. Um, or recommendation to anybody who likes their tea iced. Um, a little ritual could be to like cook your tea for like, you cook it for like a while, like 45 minutes on the stove um, and make a concentrate that way. And then you could make, you know, a mocktail or a cocktail or something from that. Um, as long as you're like keeping the intentionality around it, um, you can really do a lot and you can pick your direction for like what you personally need and what you personally feel especially surrounding like your moon rituals if you you know want to do something do for that yeah if that's if that's your preference or if you just need a mental health ritual i i highly recommend um the process of just like making a cup of tea as one um because also with like enjoying your cup of tea after that not only do you have like something tasty that you picked out um but you have something hot and um the heat from your cup is going to be really grounding and um, kind of helps shock you back into your body a little bit. Plus, mm. like, if you're trying to regain your senses around a panic attack, um, being able to smell something, being able to taste something are really important ways to work with that. That's really perfect. I was trying to think of things that, you know, there are a lot of people who might listen to this who are not spiritually inclined yeah. and on any way, um, you know, like my family is made of atheists (laughs) and just thinking of the the science around like the importance of ritual Mm -hmm. to humans in general yeah is is something that i'm i'm really interested in no it's (laughs) it's fascinating yeah and 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 really helpful um to help you you know do all kinds of things yeah because we we as people even if we're not like religious or spiritual or you know, even moderately inclined to any of those things, um, we still have our rituals. Like people every morning will get up and they'll put two lumps of uh, sugar in their coffee (laughs) and a splash of creamer and they'll read the paper. And that in itself is a ritual. It's just not something that's ceremonial necessarily. Yeah. Or it can, it can be as, as simple as a comfort Mm -hmm. um, to medium of the road, a something that is regulatory Mm -hmm. to on the far side of it, something that really is an indulgent spiritual Mm -hmm. connection or connection to the people Mm -hmm. around you or the thing that you're holding, et cetera. Mm, I love that. That feels so yummy to me. (laughs) I just, I think you said indulgent too. And I think of like cake. I just want a cake. <laughs> like, yeah, I could have a cake ritual. <laughs> well, okay. Speaking of cake and ritual, um, why don't we take this home with um, kind of a – I have two more questions left, but this one I think is a little bit more fun. Okay. Um, how do you like to celebrate Astara and springtime? What does oh, it mean to you? To me, it means a return of serotonin and a little <laughs> bit of like neurotypical vibe. You know, like I don't, totally. I'm an ADHD, like chronic anxiety, CPTSD person, and so just like the the fact that the sun is going to be out a little bit more in our gray corner of the world is such a celebration to me. So I really, really, really like to like make up a big altar about it. Like I have my, my altar that I, I switch out pretty seasonally. 
Um, so I get to add fresh flowers to it mm. and I tend to get pastel colored candles and I, I sit here in like mostly black right now. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't do colors, but like I will buy pink and yellow and blue and green and, uh, just pack my altar with like all sorts of colored stones and, um, eggshells, which I did sprinkle around us before we started this conversation. Um, true. Yeah. And, <laughs> Um, you know, just sort of celebrate through the night that way because the nights are getting shorter now and they feel a little bit warmer and a little bit more welcoming uh, as opposed to like the long winter's night where it like might not end because, you know, we're we're Seriously. still very much like weird herd people. We're like, oh, well, we could die. <laughs> <laughs> the sun might not come back. <laughs> Josh Hartnett and the vampires might be here. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I, I just like pack my altar up and I'll sit up a little bit later, probably make tea. Um, or if I, if I'm feeling fancy, maybe I'll have some rosé. Um, cause I love rosé at this time of year. To, uh, to all listeners, <laughs> one of my favorite Astara rituals is to pour rosé into a chocolate rabbit and sip it out of that, and we are doing and that currently. I have been watching Natalie do this for years via social media and have always been like, I should do that, and now I'm, I'm finally getting to do it, and it is very indulgent. It feels very good. Um, so, like, I'll have some, yeah, I'll have some rosé and, like, I'll make some eggs. I don't really have any particular preparation but like last year I made a really nice like egg salad with like a really toasty baguette kind of situation and like Mm. some furkake on top and uh pickled some things so that was fun um and like because right now my spouse and I are living with my folks like they have a yard so like I sat outside for a little while in the sunshine of the evening and just like kind of enjoyed being able to breathe a little bit more and just like I don't know, uh, acknowledge a new, a new dawn of a new year. Cause I feel like as a witchcraft practitioner, I have two new years every year, you know, like three, honestly. Yeah. Cause there's like the regular, <laughs> like January 1st situation, but then there's like, there's a Samhain and there's a Stara and it. And, and for me, I actually celebrate Yule as my yeah, new year. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, there's so many different ways to do it, but like, this feels like the one that's like, ugh. God, I just like a release is a little bit of pressure. Totally agree. Mm. It's my favorite Mm. of all of them. I'm so happy to be here for it then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm so happy to have you. I mean, like I also, I love celebrating Yule because there's so much to go into it and I I, uh, fervently hate winter so much, but um, I'm learning to love it because of the rituals that I've incorporated into my life. Uh, Same, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But springtime, definitely, it feels like we coming back. Um, I'm wondering if there's any like flowers or anything that you like, any plants that come back Mm. that you're like, yes, this is it. This Um, is what I look forward to. I mean, I love... um, walking around Seattle and seeing like the fever few in people's yards for some reason a lot of people have fever few and it's it's not something I see out where I live but like when I was living and working in this like city proper there's a lot of fever few that comes up around that time of year and it feels really nice um chamomile also has a very similar bloom but like you know, things that look like daisies feel good to me. Um, yeah. And like lavender, like I have a lavender plant that I think might actually bloom this year because it's a baby. Um, so I'm excited for that. And uh, 
God, I just, I, I just, I'm excited. I have like dirt ready to go and like <laughs> seeds ready to plant. So with a yard, you can do so much. Yeah, yeah, and like I, I because I, because I'm a nanny right now, I've got like portable plants so that I can like do work with the kids on that because they both love getting their little hands grubby. Oh, it's perfect. so sweet. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So another thing that you could do probably for Astara is you could have like your own little Earth Day. You could go out and clean up after the Earth. You could maybe volunteer to help on a trail. Maybe if that's something that you do a lot of hiking or something like that. But in general, it's the time we're going to talk about eggs and and bunnies and Mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, A final question for you. Are there any books or classes or other learning materials that you can recommend if folks want to learn more about herbalism in general? A hundred percent. There's there's so, so much out there. Yeah. Can you like um, distill it down into a couple yeah. things that have been helpful for you? Well, I, I've mentioned um, Ilva. You can find them at The Living Altar on Instagram um, is a teacher um, who has multiple circles of like witches classes which you know you have to touch herbalism with witchcraft a lot um there's a few on skillshare that have been really great for just like rudimentary learning um that frankly you can just get by typing in herbalism um i imagine natalie would throw some links down for those i can send them to you um (laughs) because that's what my my spouse has been doing is like somebody with no knowledge of these things um, coming in, it has been very useful for him because he can pause the video and take notes. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a live class. Um, but honestly, just like go, go to your local apothecary and like see what's going on there. Um, so you can learn a lot just by like talking to employees of those sorts of places or even the shoppers Um Uh, when I worked behind an herb counter as like the bulk herbalist and like tea maker, uh, the amount of people who would come up to me and like chat about what I was making was pretty incredible. And I would often get sidetracked talking to (laughs) customers or my, um, my fellow employees about like, Oh, this herb could be really good for this too. But Hey, right now there's a moon in this sign. So maybe if we burned some of this or made a tea out of some of this, um, we could really like hone in on whatever sort of feeling we need for this particular time. Um, so like being social about it, I would say is a really good way to go about it. Like just start chatting with people um, because that leads to being able to, you know, flood your social media with experienced, incredible people who are, you know, posting things for free or if like, if you need, if you're short on funds, I know a lot of us are right now. Um, and then, you know, whatever labor they're willing to give, you can get from that. And then, you know, if you want to cash app somebody that way, a lot of people just put their, their handles in and you can send them some cash and say, thank you. Um, local friend herbalist. Totally, because social media doesn't actually make you money most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, another account that I follow, um, and I have her book that she's a good jumping off point for like kitchen preparations, um, is called Grow Forage Cook Ferment. Mm. And um, she's a little, she's kind of cishet for me. Um, I get a little annoyed when people intentionally put like mother and child things in their herbal books. Like, Yo, that's uh, that's a little archaic for my taste, <laughs> but she has some pretty incredible and really gentle um, ways of preparing herbs. She 
does a lot of um, partnerships with Mountain Rose Herbs, which is a place that a lot of herbal shops and boutiques and apothecaries will order from because they're mm. huge and they're really low on carbon footprint. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And they also have blogs. So another solid resource is like go directly to the source because most of these larger companies will have either partnerships with smaller bloggers or they will have their own blog and they'll tell you how to use their products. Perfect. Those are some really great recommendations. Before we completely sign out of this, um, is there anything else that you'd like to share, even though we have been talking for an hour and a half? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Trans rights are human rights. Uh, Black lives matter. Um, Love your local non-binary person. (laughs) Check on your friends always. Yeah. Uh, and work with a giving heart, my dudes, because I realize that's like the hokiest thing. I've said a lot of hokey ah! shit, um, but that's maybe the hokiest thing I've said, but it's very true. Like, not just because like I'm a nanny and I hang out with kids all day, um, <laughs> but because it is like ultimately everything that I've ever done in my life where I've gone like, oh, I'm so mad about this. I need to go in and like tear things apart. Like whenever I've taken a minute to step back and take a breath and say, huh, ah, approach with compassion. It always turns out better. Be yes. nice to people. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank being you. with us here today, Sam, and for yeah. sharing so much awesome stuff. Again, you can find this at thecatandkettle.com. Yeah. That's us. We're the one with the angry looking cat. <laughs> or on the Instagram at the cat and kettle. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Thank you you so much. All right, listeners. As promised, here's a sweet little gift from Sam to help you celebrate this season. Use the coupon code OSTARACAT for a free one-ounce bag of Ostara tea with purchase of any other tea. Or you can purchase a larger size if you know that you're going to love it, which I recommend because it's great. Sam's other teas are also all really lovely, super affordable, and always packaged in an ever-so-lovely fashion, so you really have nothing to lose. Again, that code is OSTARACAT, O-S-T-A-R-A-C-A-T, no spaces, all caps. And as with all things, this offer will eventually expire once it's out of season. But fear not. There will always be more tea, offers, and seasons. Thanks for tuning in to Cosmologies, folks. We hope that we've given you a lot to think about this month and that it will tide you over until the next new moon. As always, our theme music is by Aaron J. Shea. Until then, stay wonderful. From the mysteries within us to